0: The best relationships are built on learnable skills. The question becomes, are you willing to learn? Join John and Sungshin Lopnow as they converse with leaders at the intersection of brain science and spiritual formation with practical ways of staying connected to the presence of God and to one another. We hope that the Presence and Practice podcast serves you and other leaders around the world with tangible ways to increase love in every interaction. And now to tell you more about today's episode, here's John and Sungshim. All right, friends of Presence and Practice, and now Deeper Walk International, and Dr. Marcus Warner is here with me. Uh, we are friends. Our our couples as husband and wives were friends too. We met at um, some training with Life Model Work works, and just really glad to have. Uh, Dr. Marcus Warner. He is the president of Deeper Walk International. He's been a pastor, done lots of teaching, written a variety of books on yeah parenting, marriage, leadership, spiritual warfare, probably some other things. Uh, crypto investing? No, I'm just kidding about that. Yeah, one. no, yeah, no. <laughs> not that one. But he has a new book. So I wish. <laughs> <laughs> he has a new book, and I'm excited to just it's a, a deeper walk, a proven path for developing a more vibrant faith. And so, but just glad that, uh, glad to have you, uh, my friend, Marcus.
1: Yeah, thanks, John. It's, uh, it's the first time we've done something like this. This is kind of fun.
0: Yeah, it is. And uh, I just like to have friends on who have done things that are good and beautiful in the world. And I think you are, um, I mean, I know your other books and I know I can see the the themes woven into this one, but this book hits a target that really is really important to me too. It's about discipleship and what works and doesn't work. Is that fair? Can you comment on your yeah. journey with that?
1: Yeah. The, uh, the The book starts with the idea that the discipleship factory in the church is broken and needs to be fixed. And so we take a look at what's broken about it so that we have an idea of what needs to get fixed. And so this is meant to be kind of a holistic um, look, that can double as an assessment. So, look it, it, as the in, as an individual, I can say, <clears throat> where are the holes in what I'm doing to grow? That maybe I need to take some, pay some attention to. And as an organization or a church. Uh, I'm looking at where are the holes in what we are offering to people that are maybe keeping them from growing. So it's meant to lay out a simple, holistic model to give people an idea of, well, maybe the reason our people are stuck is because some of these things are missing. So that that was the idea behind the book.
0: And, uh, well, a couple of things. That, one, I didn't know you had – that's been on your heart for so long. It said, like, since, like, the late 70s or something like yeah. that. Yeah.
1: Like, no, I was in high school. I uh, remember <laughs> – very much sitting. Uh, I went to a very traditional church. Uh, it was a good church in a lot of ways. Very Bible uh, forward, uh, but stained glass windows, pipe organ, robe choir, mm. wooden fuse, the whole nine yards. And we, uh, I was in the balcony of the church watching people file in for a Sunday evening service. If you're, you know, remember those, uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, uh, and the thought just came to me at the time. I didn't mm. have the category for knowing that was a Holy Spirit thought. But it was just this this thought that came to me that it was how is it possible for people to go to church so long and still be so stuck? Mm, yes. And as I'm watching these folks file in, part of me is like, I don't want that to be my future. I don't want to get to be you know my age now, 61, and uh, have gone to church my whole life, have attended a thousand Bible studies. Mm. And uh, my life just revolves around the you know go to church, go to work, go home, watch TV, go to you know go to church, yep. go to work, go home, go watch TV. You know, I, I there it's like there's got to be something more uh, to Christian life than this. And uh, at that point, I just felt like someday I want to do something about this. Right? I would like to.
0: Yes. So the 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 traditional or what's what is the most common discipleship path you see? Out there,
1: yeah. So we we call it, I call it traditional discipleship. I call it uh, the, the ABCs, and mm-hmm. it's uh, academics, behavior, and church activity. And so the most common path is l- let's get you a certain amount of knowledge so that you can talk well about you know Christianity. You can mm-hmm. express yourself properly, and you can understand a little bit of what you believe and why you believe it. And then we'll go to behavior. Uh, is your behavior at a standard that we at this church can find acceptable and so let's mm-hmm. let's make sure that that that's there and then the next one is church activity are you involved in the church are you volunteering are you serving uh have you found and so where, the way i grew up spiritual gifts was sort of just a way to recruit people to volunteer so we would do spiritual gifts inventories and training you know but i knew in the background it was because at the end of this they wanted you to sign up for something right so you
0: hope you hoped a lot of people had the gift of helps.
1: Yeah, exactly. I'm ho- and uh, there's nothing wrong with that. As a former pastor, I know it. It. I. What blew me away when I was serving at a uh, traditional community church was that 80 percent of our time mm-hmm. and uh, volunteer effort and money, honestly, went went into just making Sunday morning happen. Mm. And that didn't seem like a good use. Uh, of resources or really what the church should be all about so we're trying to figure out how do you reinvent this a little bit Mm. the other thing i found is that uh, people practice what i call discipleship by osmosis and you know that's where they assume that because you're attending the church regularly and because you're in a small group regularly you must be growing But they don't actually have a path for your growth or an expectation of how that's going to happen. In fact, I've sometimes called the small group (laughs) church small groups their second parking lot of the church. You know, Mm -hmm. we just kind of funnel people into these groups and forget about them, and just assume that okay, everything's going to take care of itself from now now on. And that's essentially discipleship by osmosis. And so uh, that's part of what we're trying to correct: is there is a path. Yeah, and the path isn't necessarily do this first and do this second, do this third, but it's all of these things need to be part of your path.
0: Right. Okay. So you got the ingredients. Well, how do you know? I mean, those things like come to church, worship, um, get in a small group, serve somewhere, learn some some Bible stuff that, and then you're you're like Christ. Um, yeah, that's
1: kind of uh, the traditional approach to discipleship. Right, right.
0: Right. Well, how do you know? How did you know? And the people that you're around know that there was a problem? Like, what what was the evidence that there was a problem?
1: Well, you know, the first evidence was in my own life, right? That was, I did not like the gap that I saw between what I knew about Christianity and how much work I was doing for Christianity and how close I felt to Jesus. Did not like that gap. Uh, Did not like the, uh, it was an obvious gap in almost everybody that I was meeting with. Uh, it was a repeated theme in our conversations. Mm-hmm. And like, and, and you just go back to that church that I told you about, that it was a good church in a lot of ways. We had a lot of good things going on. They gave hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to missions. They mm-hmm. had great Bible teaching, but three of the pastors on staff had affairs mm-hmm. with members of the congregation. So there's something broke in your discipleship or in your Christianity when...
0: So everything
1: right. And that's still taking place.
0: Yes. Yes. Well, then that's an obvious one to see. That's right. Well, and then even what you're saying, because I'm thinking of churches that I've been a part of, they more people were attending on Sunday. I was going to say they grew. So I'm trying to be a little more precise. More people were attending on Sunday and in small groups and serving. So all like the metrics that people were using were all going up, going up. So how, how do you, I mean, okay. Yes. The uh, pastor's having an affair. That's, that's pretty big and obvious. Are there other, uh, I was going to say more common, but unfortunately like affairs, (laughs) affairs across the board are pretty common. So other ones that aren't as like pronounced.
1: Yeah. Well, the other, uh, like I I go back to the Willow Creek reveal study, Mm -hmm. uh, right. And this idea that, that, A majority of Christians seem to be stuck, stalled, and dissatisfied. Yeah. And the question is why? And what happened, what what I saw in the circles I was running in is when that study came out, there was a, we got to get back to discipleship movement. But the problem was their back to basics movement was a back to traditional discipleship and not to the heart-focused discipleship we're trying to promote in this book. And that is, there are things you need to do to deal with matters of the heart that do not get touched in traditional discipleship. Mm-hmm. And so that's the the idea here is, well, what what would a model look like that's actually going to take that seriously of, you know, dealing with, what I found is that most churches were content with the metrics going up and yeah. then they, they hope to just outsource all of the problem people. Mm -hmm. Well,
0: that's what I was going to, I was, when you said heart focused, you know, so my training is as a pastor and a therapist. So the heart focus, I kind of lean towards naturally anyway, Right. but then it does get segmented. It gets, yeah. Like you just say, oh, okay. Oh, give it to the pastoral counselor.
1: Give it to the, oh, we need a list of therapists we can refer to or. Right. There's this dramatic separation between discipleship and counseling. That's like, this is one thing and this is a different thing. And I'm like. Not really, because isn't discipleship about the heart? You know, isn't it really uh, about that kind of transference and the idea that can you be a mature Christian if it's not changing your ability to regulate your emotions and handle your relationships? Wow, that's so good. And so I want this kind of the simple route and like in fixing the broken discipleship factory, it starts with defining what we're trying to produce. yes. And so if you just say we're trying to produce disciples, we've well, got to define that. And I find that in traditional discipleship, we define it as people who have grown in knowledge and skill and are now able to lead others to Christ <laughs> and pass on that knowledge and skill. Yes. And so that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just incomplete. Yes. So what I'm suggesting is that we have to add a word to our definition, that the church doesn't just exist to produce disciples. It exists to produce mature disciples. hmm and so now we define, well, what do you mean by maturity? And mm-hmm. so that's where the life model stuff come, kind of comes in of, well, from this perspective, the purpose of discipleship is to, is to take infants and help them become children, children and help them become adults, adults and help them become parents, parents and help them become elders. And so the question is, is that even on the radar of what we're trying to do as a, in our church discipleship ministries? And mm-hmm. it probably ought to be the focus of it. Hmm. So I find is a lot of traditional discipleship is actually targeting people who are at child level maturity. Uh, They don't have much for infants and they don't have much for the adults. And then they're just trying to recruit parents to go do, you know, Yes, to work with well. The how children. do
0: you define those? I mean, you and I know those terms. Yeah, yeah, we're in those circles. But how about people who don't know, or or they're just putting their definitions on those?
1: Yeah. Terms? So again, I think what has tended to happen, in, in, again, in traditional discipleship, tends to define infant as <clears throat> I need somebody else to teach me, sure. and child as uh, I I can I can I'm learning. I'm in that process of growing, and then as an adult, I can teach myself. But it's all this left brain cognitive knowledge stuff. And what we're, we're talking about more is that an infant has no capacity to deal with their emotions at all. They need somebody else to recognize what emotion they're feeling, meet them there, and help them recover. And as you know, if, if uh, trauma keeps that from developing, you can be my age and still be functionally an infant when it comes to certain emotions that you have in your life. So the idea is that maturity is, has to be measured in terms of my ability to handle emotions well. I had to handle emotions without them overwhelming us Mm -hmm. too often. The left brain approach to discipleship has said, let's ignore the emotions. We don't want to be controlled by emotions." So the the solution is to just ignore them. Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, we have to grow our capacity. So infants have no capacity to handle them at all. Children are learning to take care of themselves. They are Mm -hmm. learning. So from age three to like 12, you know they're just starting to get a vocabulary for what is this I'm feeling and, and mm-hmm. starting to develop skills for how to recover. By the time they're 12, 13, they should be well-practiced in you know, regulating their own emotions so that by the time they're an adult, they can take care of themselves and take care of somebody else at the same time. So, that's mm-hmm. the way I'm defining the, uh, the, these stages. And I, I look at like uh, Paul telling the Corinthians, who are notoriously immature church,
0: Mm. Right.
1: You have a lot of teachers. Yeah. How can you know? So if they got 10,000 teachers, how are they so immature? And it's because maturity is way more than just knowledge. It's, it's actually growth in your ability. Uh, so I define maturity as the fruit of the spirit. And that is your capacity to love and mm. live with joy and live with peace and be patient right. And gentle and kind and long suffering and, uh, you know, to self-control, all of those things flow. They don't happen because the Holy Spirit zaps you and you just suddenly have all these abilities. Mm. They, they happen because I am growing in my maturity and my maturity now is reflected in the fact that I can do all that. So simple definition. What do we mean by mature? My growing capacity to live out of live with the fruit of the spirit. I uh, love regardless. that. Moment.
0: Can I just like, I want to, because, you know, there's this, um, thing about, christians which is what's god's power and what's my power what's you know what's god's agency and my agency and especially the fruit of the spirit and what's our role so can you talk about that because that's always super interesting to me and because sometimes the right theology is oh it's all god i mean i'm overstating but but then like but no we really are participants in this and i want to hear from you who's probably thought a lot about this theologically practically. Yeah.
1: No, you're right. It's a, uh, people tend to go to extremes on this. And, and so the way I look at it is that there are legal, legal foundational elements to my relationship to God, just like in a marriage, I am legally bound mm-hmm. to this person and it has changed both of our identities. Mm-hmm. All right. And we are now linked. So the, the new covenant gives us a legal objective foundation that says, this is who you are. This is your relationship to God is defined this way. And because of the covenant, you know, you've been forgiven of your sins. You have an inheritance waiting. You've been adopted. You, uh, you're a member of the, 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 family. There's a lot of things that are just legally true mm-hmm. of us in Christ. Right. And then you've got these things that are Holy Spirit related mm-hmm. and the Holy Spirit's job. I, I look at in maybe in a simplistic way as to take what is legally true of us and bring it to life. In the mm-hmm. way that we live. So now that I am a child of God, how do I experience Abba Father? Uh, is that's the Holy Spirit's job? So I'm not going to develop intimacy with God simply because I've been adopted, but it's the foundation now, and the Holy Spirit's going to build that out. Now, the third element of it is community, and so God has never has, has always wanted us to be a people mm-hmm. and never just to be a Christian right? Mm-hmm. He says he's trying to grow up people. And so, right. when we bring the community into it, the community's job is to make sure that it's anchored in what is legally true of us in the courtroom of heaven, and then be helping one another discern the spirit, where the spirit's mm-hmm. leading, to walk in the spirit on a regular basis, and to grow in our our, our ability to connect with God at, 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 uh, through the Holy Spirit. And so, uh and again, that's that's just basic Bible teaching, right? That's not a, a denominational teaching. We're born of the Spirit the walk of the Spirit. So, it's a. Uh, those yeah, are yeah. the three key things that I see. We got the legal right. part, we got the Holy Spirit part, we got the community part, and usually one of those is way underdeveloped in our discipleship agenda.
0: Mm, right. Well, and then even like the the explicit teaching, teaching and the implicit teaching is the explicit is it's all God. The implicit is you got to do a lot of work, you know? And so there's this like, but I think it's not clearly thought through for a lot of Christians. It's like, you no, know, we actually, we co-participate
1: with the spirit. Well, so the simpler way to explain that is that growth happens relationally. Yes. All Beautiful. right. Since, all right. So since growth happens relationally, I have to be in relationship with other people, but it's, it's my relationship with God. That produces the fruit of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. So I'm not producing the fruit of the Spirit for God, right, to impress him somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm also not just sitting here passively saying, well, it's not my fault I'm a jerk. You know, God hasn't zapped me yet, right? I, <laughs> so you're... You, you know, I, I I have, but as I'm interacting relationally with the people of God, and I'm interacting relationally with God, that's what breaks off the uh, the rough edges and helps me mature and helps me become more Christ-like.
0: So, the our being relational with God and with others that's our agency, that's our power, that's our effort. Yes, Look,
1: effort is not a four-letter word in no uranium, right. No, it, uh, Paul said, I work harder than them all.
0: Hmm.
1: Right. So what's he talking about? Well, you know, how uh, grace is not meant to produce passivity. Grace is meant to produce energy. Yes. And uh, so I look at and We've we'll talked about this in the book a little bit, and that is uh, grace and faith were really common words in Roman economy. Hmm. And the uh, in the Roman economy, everybody kind of understood this. And that is they they used a patronage system where you would have a wealthy person who was the patron and then you would have uh clients you know who who of them and the and the idea was that the patron would give you grace mm. so grace was something you needed that you couldn't do for yourself and so that grace could take a lot of different forms from the patron it could just be money he could give you a loan he could give you money he could Uh, But it also involved things like he could represent you in court and help you with uh, problems that came up. He could deal with some of your competitors and uh, or he could uh, he could funnel business your direction to help, you know, you succeed. There were a lot of things that the patron did that were called grace in Roman culture. In response, what was expected was faith. Mm. But what they really meant was loyalty or faithfulness. And so I expect because of all this grace that, mm. that we now have a relationship with one another. And your part of this now is is faith mm. that produces faithfulness that makes us good stewards. So when you're looking at God's part my part, right, mm. it's, it's laid out really nicely in, uh, in the way Roman econ- economics worked, which is, okay. yeah, God's job is grace and my job is faith. And that's okay. not a one-time transaction that happened at salvation
0: it's a a way of life it's a it's a way of life it's a a, a, like a call and response almost you know like there's an initiative and then there's a response that's you know marcus you are really a good teacher so i mean that's that's anybody who knows you knows that about you and i do have a question but i wanted to make a comment when i got the book i'm like you should really think
1: marcus about
0: putting some acronyms
1: in this book (laughs) i don't know if you thought about that it's a good teaching tool it's a good teaching tool i know i have an appendix in there just listing all of the acronyms in the book so it's like (laughs) for those of you who don't know
0: um marcus is like that's one of his like go-to acronyms he's like the king oh, yeah. it, and excellent, and it's helpful. So I'm I'm kind of like playfully bringing up
1: the idea of acronym. But it's true; it's the way I think. So the model is fish, right? That's the acronym, yeah, right? Exactly. And then every one of them has an acronym under it, right? And so it it gets uh, it's just the way I think. Oh so. no,
0: that's great! You know who you remind me of, who's like that, is um Dan Siegel. You know, oh he, yeah, the neuro, He's like, and he's kind of known, and his people tease him about it, and then I'm kind of teasing you about it. But actually, like, I wish I had. I had that a little bit more because it is handy and people remember it and, you know, and anything that you can be teased about means that it's kind of lodged in their
1: brains. Yeah. Well, and I, I started it cause it helps me. Cause I, I, I teach so much on so many different topics that having these things helps me remember the path I want to go down. Yeah. So it started out just being something for me and, uh, Yeah, it's turned into a bit of a joke. In fact, somebody asked me if I could write a 365-day calendar with an acrostic for each day, but (laughs) we're getting close. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay,
0: one question I had to backtrack a little bit was um, the uh, question of when you were kind of talking about people like, oh, I'm just a jerk, but God hasn't zapped me. I hear this, some refrain of this. Oh, uh, that's, that's just how I am. I just like say the truth, frankly, or whatever it is, you know, like it could be a little blunt or a little jerky or like I I'm quiet or whatever it is. It's just the, it's this part of my pattern of behavior and it's just, it's like solidified and completely accepted. I think that's a, that idea is a virus in our culture and church culture. And I wanted to hear you comment on that because I, I want to help people
1: see what, that's not built on anything good, beautiful or true. Right. There is a difference between um, accepting people in their weakness Hmm. and being gentle with our own weaknesses and defining ourselves by our weaknesses.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And so, We do want to be gentle with our own weakness and gentle with other people's weaknesses, but not to the point where we define ourselves by them. So, say, I'm just depressed. That's just who I am. I'm just angry. That's just who I am. I'm just really a sexual being. That's just who I am. Mm -hmm. Right. You can. A lot of people will uh, take their weaknesses and or their malfunctions even Mm -hmm. and then make that their identity. And when that happens, what you're doing is actually a form of narcissism, because what you're doing at that point is you are setting yourself up to justify your malfunction instead of working on it. Mm -hmm. And narcissism is, you know, you know, from Jim's Pandora problem book is uh, uh, largely about self-justification. And that is, I do not want to feel shame. Mm-hmm. And because I'm so and I know this is a weakness and weakness makes me feel shame and I don't want to feel shame. So I'm going to justify it. And I, this is just so rampant in the church and outside the church. It's really almost like the crisis of our day. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> um, wow. Well, that's that's so because sometimes I, I can imagine some people and not myself, of course. Just kidding. I have some weaknesses <laughs> that I, I wish I could justify. But the that behavior has produced results that tend that can be good you know so it's like oh i just tell you yes. and or I, I just work hard i just work 80 hours a week or whatever it is you know what i mean so it's how i really want to help free people not yeah. just like corner them and say see you're wrong I mean that that thought creeps in my mind, if I'm honest. Like
1: No, yeah, sure. No, that and that's a that's a good point. My my wife tells me all the time, I have a tendency to say things that leave people in a place of shame. I don't finish the thought, right? And uh there's that's not what we want to do. We want to finish the
0: uh mm-hmm.
1: path here. And uh it is true. I was just at a I was just doing a leadership event at a large corporation um in another state, and they that was part of it It was the culture was 80 hour work weeks and anger to get things done and Mm -hmm. blowing up at people and whatever they're, they're trying to find a better way. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the real issue is that does get results. Um, But it does not produce the kind of culture that will generate those results again and again. Mm -hmm. So in a corporate setting, what we're talking about is creating a leadership culture that creates an engine that produces results but it does it out of joy rather than out of fear. And so the results are important, but the, uh, the, the engine you're trying to produce is one of, of uh, I want to be a part of this team. I like being with these people. I like what we're doing. I want to be here for a long time. Mm -hmm. And so both can get results. You can get results by chewing, you know, using people, chewing them up, spitting them out, replacing them, chewing them up, spitting out, replacing them. And, you know, it does get results; it works. But long term, you know, you want to be part of something different. In the same way, my my malfunctions, if you will, my weaknesses may get results. Yeah. But long term, I'm going to leave a trail of broken relationships behind me. I'm going to leave a trail of my own personal burnout. I'm going to. Uh, it's not uh, the price of those results is probably not worth paying.
0: Yeah, that's really good. I'm thinking about even my weaknesses. Uh, there is a result that is positive in a period of time, but over time, it's I really place a burden on others of some kind.
1: Well, and this happens both aggressively and passively. It's like I have a tendency towards passivity in certain parts of my life. And I used to think that that was fine, that I wasn't hurting anybody. But what I began to realize is that the passivity is to actually putting a burden on other people that they've now got to pick up the slack for things. And it was putting tension in relationships or just allowing relationships to drift away that should have been fought for a little bit more. Right. And so, uh, sometimes we think of these things and we only think of people who are angry or people who, uh, have, you know, more, you know, obvious. Yeah. Things, but it can work both ways.
0: Oh, yeah. And, and I, I have those areas too, more like the passive. And I'm like, Oh, I'm just a nice guy, but then it, it burdens other people. And then, yeah, if I like blow up, that's more obvious. That can be there's some correction mechanism, but yeah, thanks for sharing that. Because I think if we can create an environment and I understand why we, I, others justify ourselves because that has enabled us to survive various realms of our life. It served a purpose. If we can create the environment where we model, you know what? I overdo it here. I underdo it here. It hurts relationships. And I want to grow. And then, and I want the same for you. How, how that's a key part of, I think, discipleship. How do you see in the kind of the model you have, how
1: can those things be healed or strengthened well, when we, uh, what we try to do is, is not only identify where the holes are, but then give people some basic tools to get started in the process of moving in, in, mm-hmm. in this direction. So if, let's take the first one, which is freedom. The idea is that we die with Christ. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's very clear in Baptist. We die with Christ, but why? Mm-hmm. We, we die with Christ to be set free from stuff. He wanted mm-hmm. us to be set free from the law, set free from sin, set free from death, set free from everything that enslaves us. So the idea is like, all right, so that's what the gospel does for us. Now, discipleship should take what the guys got, the gospel foundation and build on it. Mm -hmm. That means moving forward for the rest of my life, I am going to be working on freedom issues. Right. For the rest of my life, I'm going to be working on on getting rid of things in my life that keep me enslaved and Mm -hmm. keep me from being uh, what God wants me to be. Uh, Then I'm raised with Christ to a new identity. So for the rest of my life as a Christian, I'm learning what it means to live out of that idea, to act Mm -hmm. like myself in more and more situations and not turn into somebody else when I'm under under stress or pressure. And so that the idea here is so here's some tools. So when it comes like the freedom, we have spiritual warfare tools. We have emotional healing tools. And there's also, uh, and then when it comes to identity, yeah. there's yeah. the the covenant identity, but there's also heart identity. Mm-hmm. And that is, what's the heart values, you know, that Thrive talks about so much? What's the heart values that uh, um, God put in me that need to be fanned into flame? And I need community for those things, right? I need community to help me in my in the warfare work going on. I need community to help me in the emotional healing work. And then... I need to be a part of helping other people in those areas. And it all just feeds together because I want to get free so that I can really build my life on who I'm meant to be. And knowing that that only works if I'm doing it in the spirit and so, and with the help of community. And that's where the four parts come from.
0: Can you, and you, can you you just say FISH, the acronym?
1: I know you said it, but just say it succinct. So people hear it. FISH is freedom, which is the idea that I died with Christ to be free from what enslaves me. I is identity, which is I'm raised with Christ to a new identity, which is defined by the new covenant. The uh, S is I'm born of the spirit to walk in the spirit. Mm-hmm. And H is heart focused community. We toyed with the idea of calling a chesed community, but that took way too much explanation. So we're just like heart focused community. Yes. Uh, and the idea here is is that in a heart focused community is one where they're working on freedom, identity, and spirit are, are fundamental to uh, what that community is all about
0: yeah thank you. that is beautiful. That's like I like that short, sweet, and gets to the the essence of all
1: the things we originally called it discipleship on the back of a napkin. The idea was you could just draw this line. here's the baptismal line, we die, yeah. we're raised. here's the Holy Spirit, and here's the heart focused community, four little pictures, and then you just put f i s h across the top and you're like, this is the model so yeah, that's- yeah,
0: I saw that in here, and that's like yeah it's it's nice. it's like a nice refreshed way of of sharing. The, yeah. the life with Christ.
1: It's nothing new. It's just a, a different way of looking at it. Yeah, yeah. I mean that, that's that's all of life, right? We were, that's we're all of life. life. I told <laughs> people I came up with a truly new model of discipleship. You should be very suspicious. Nervous, yeah, <laughs> you know, a little scared there. Uh, well, you know,
0: um, I I know you talked about um, with Jim Wilder mutual mind with God and hearing from God because I think that's one that you know I'm obviously Sung Kim and I are interested with joyful journey and Emmanuel journaling just can you comment on that and the role hearing from God and maybe if yeah. manual journaling is a part of that, like, how does that
1: fit and help you grow? So the, uh, uh, under S I kind of broke S into two directions. One is, uh, and talk about like the two wings of an airplane, one scripture and one is listening prayer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I don't call it a manual prayer simply because I want to include all forms of listening prayer right in this, but the, uh, Listening prayer is uh, the idea that God speaks, separated into left brain and right brain listening. So left brain listening are those times when God's sort of, it's almost audible Hmm. and it surprises you and it's Hmm. fully formed. Hmm. And uh, like maybe you're walking down the street and all of a sudden it's just God says, I want you to go do this, right? That's this fully formed thought that kind of overwhelms everything. Or maybe you have a dream and in the dream, God said, or you get a vision mm-hmm. or you got it. This is the left brain is, is like it's a complete presentation of God's thoughts to you. You're not guessing about what he's saying. It's kind of crystallized. It's crystallized. It's crystallized clear. There's no question. This is God. Cool. Right. The uh, and then the right brain side is where you get into the mutual mind. Mm-hmm. And the mutual mind part is is uh, in in what we would do is we would do mutual mind by reading each other's body language. Mm. And so you read body language going, I think he's interested in what I'm saying, or he looks distracted, or mm-hmm. I think he's, you know, you know. so I, I, you read those that, and you can misread it. Mm-hmm. But in the, and so what is unique about mutual mind with God is that we don't see him to read his body language. So mm-hmm. w- we're actually having to be sensitive to something else. Mm-hmm. And the sensitivity to what we're thinking is usually something we can then put into words. Hmm. And so as I think about what I'm feeling, as I'm connecting with God, I feel like he is moving in this direction. If I were going to put it into words, it would be this. And so that's, in a sense, what I see happening with the most manual journaling is I am putting hmm. myself in a position to get my relational circuits on so that my relational circuits are on and open to receive what God may want to connect to me. But I'm not necessarily listening for this Almost audible, fully formed. Everything that I'm just downloading, I am, I am waiting for the the, the new thoughts that come, the surprising thoughts that come, the uh, the feelings that come, and then I'm writing about those things, and then I'm sorting them out afterwards. Right? Mm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So now that I've sat this, I'm just going to kind of be in the moment. Mm -hmm. and let that flow in the moment. And then later I'll sort it out. So I'll sort it out with other people. I'll sort it out with scripture and I'll dive into a bit and go like, was that really God? Mm -hmm. And to me, that's not as complicated as it sounds. Is it really God? Because you're like, did it produce the fruit of the spirit? Does it point me toward the fruit of the spirit or is it pointing me to selfishness, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and other things. So I think sometimes we make that harder than it sounds. Cause like, you know, if you're spending time in a manual prayer and God says, I want you to leave your wife and run off with that pretty girl over there, you know, that's not that hard to discern.
0: <laughs> right, right, right. No, I, and I agree with you. And I think that like listening to God, hearing God, sensing being led by the spirit, uh that's the the life you know uh, that animates uh all the other the scriptural things it, it's it, It's woven together, but I think there are there's a sizable population are either afraid of that or don't have confidence in their capacity to get it reasonably right.
1: Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I was just talking to somebody yesterday, and they come completely from a tradition where no expectation of ever hearing God's voice, which is me. That was my tradition. That was what I came up and uh, was very skeptical. Mm. Um, in fact, uh, because I was introduced to spiritual warfare first, uh, I was pretty sure that everybody was hearing demons, right? <laughs> uh, it was. Uh, uh, and so it took a, a, a while and it took a few experiences to begin to realizing, you know, these thoughts that I have that are really comforting and that make mm. me feel loved and that are moving me in a in a Christ like direction. That may not just be me, me thinking, right? Mm. It might be me being in a mutual mind state with God. That might be God and I thinking together. Mm. And the, one of the first times this ever happened for me, I was. I remember I was a. Uh, I was in my early thirties. I was kind of between things I was working as a waiter at a restaurant at the time I'd already taught college had two master's degrees and somebody's like, what are you doing here, man? (laughs) And Mm -hmm. uh, I remember saying something like, well, season of life, you just got to do certain, take care of your family and you know, there'll be a different season down the road. But in my mind, what I heard very clearly was this fully formed thought Mm -hmm. uh, you're the only pastor these people are ever going to have. Mm -hmm. And I called you to be their pastor. Mm -hmm. And it was like, uh, and for the first time I, in my life, I could really in in real time go, that was God, <laughs> right? That was not just me thinking, right? Mm. That was God giving me that thought. And it was a calling that I wasn't just to wait tables. I was to pay attention mm. to people I was working with and, and be a pastor to them. And, and that's what happened. I ended up having all kinds of Meaningful wow. heart level conversations with the people there and, you know, even helped a few of them cross that line into the kingdom. So it's like, wow. it, it's, yeah, it all came from being aware that this isn't just me thinking this is God thinking with me. Mm. And what's um,
0: I mean, that's, that's beautiful because I one of the things in my heart is I want people to know this is an accessible thing to be able to have greater degrees of confidence that God can guide you and lead you and speak to you or nourish you or strengthen right. you.
1: I think what tends to happen is what we're looking for are instant, clear answers to very pressing problems, right? right. Yes. And that is, I have no idea how to pay off all these credit cards. I don't know where to get the money for all this. Leo, where am I going to get the money, God? Talk. You know, (laughs) and that's kind of the way we practice listening prayer. And when that doesn't work, we're like, well, I knew this wouldn't work. Mm. And that's usually not the best way to develop a skill, just like any other skill. (laughs) You kind of got to grow into uh, the capacity here on those things. And a lot of times God doesn't want to answer that question because there are times when God does just want you to trust him with this stuff and see what happens and watch it unfold and be relational with them. And it's not his agenda to tell you how he's going to solve it. Mm-hmm. So. Yes.
0: Well, it's been really good. What's like one or two things that we haven't touched on in the book that kind of like are, are, Oh, I wish we had commented on that, you know, cause I know like there's, it's, it's not, um, so big, that's hard to grasp. But I know when you write something, it's like you pour your heart into it. What's so What's something that you want to draw out that we didn't touch on today?
1: Well, you know, one of my favorite stories in the book is uh, um, this idea of a, a, a friend of mine named Dean who went to Africa and he had a uh, he would do a gathering of a, a rural village and they'd have a race and he'd offer five dollars to the winner. And he'd always ask the the best athlete or the fastest runner in the village to come up, and then he'd have a little girl come up, and everybody would laugh, like you know, no way uh, that this little girl has a chance. But then he would take out a backpack and some ropes, and the backpack was uh, he'd have his, the friends load it full of rocks so that the this fast guy had to wear uh, uh, be weighted down with rocks, and then he'd take out a rope and he'd have his friends tie up the guy's feet. And so now all of a sudden he's bound up and he's hunched over and he's like everybody knows there's no way he's going to be able to run this race now. Mm-hmm. When it's all done he would pull out Hebrews 12:1 and
0: mm-hmm.
1: say since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us lay aside the weight and untangle from the you know mm-hmm. the sin that so entangles us and run with perseverance. And what I find is there's a lot of Christians who want to move forward in their walk but they are still in bondage. And that's why we start with freedom. We start with what is it, where do I need to experience freedom in my life so that I can run this race? Now, in the journey of doing that freedom, I will need a a people Mm -hmm. and I will need the Holy Spirit's guidance, right? And I will need to understand who I really am uh, along the way. So all of these things feed into it. But I, I just think that there's a lot of us who feel stuck. And we uh, don't have any hope and we're just trying harder and harder and harder at the same couple of things. And so one of the points of, uh, of the book and the model is to say, if you've been working a long time to get unstuck with something, look at the whole model and see what's missing in your journey you know are you missing the people are you missing the listening prayer of the spirit are you are you missing you know maybe a warfare piece and so that would be where i would end it it's just that there's a there's a reason why the whole model fits together and it's to uh help us experience increasing freedom and increasing growth and maturity uh mm-hmm. and as we get more intimate with god and closer to our you know family
0: and i kind of hear that as a exhortation or blessing that May we be the kind of people who can freely share comfortably the areas where we're stuck so that we can support each other and encourage And Oh, I get stuck too. Or maybe it's a little different way, but, but I get stuck and it's not fun and it's hard. But also other times there's this like, like free flowing thing that
1: happens and it's wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why, uh, You know, I know when uh, your your wife spoke on one of our our events on sadness, it was just really a profound moment for a lot of people as she's sharing her own journey with dealing with that. And times, I've shared my journey with anxiety and having to walk through that. I think it's important for leaders to let people know they have weaknesses. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's part of being gentle with your own weakness, but also to give people hope and encouragement about things that have helped along the way. Right. that. uh, So, yes, I I completely uh, agree. We need to have all of these things. And so what happens is too many of us rely on just one of them. Mm -hmm. And I see this a lot, for instance, in addiction recovery, where they put everything on. I'm in a group. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Right. Okay. And I'm like, well, that's good. But are you helping reform your identity? Are you learning how to walk in the spirit? Are you actually dealing with the stuff that you need to to get free from these things? So that's kind of the idea is you can put all of your weight on any one of these and ask it to do everything. And so the idea is, well, let's take a look, you know, how are we doing in the whole.
0: Mark is so good. Everyone. I encourage you to check out the book a deeper walk it's on Amazon on your ministry website. I'm sure. What's your ministry website?
1: Uh, it's deeper walk org.
0: Great. And then uh, what are some things that you do that if, People are interested. Oh, I want to learn more what Marcus does and
1: Deeper Walk does. Sure. So we just recently started a school of ministry where we train people to be prayer ministers, hmm. and so they're, we're teaching people uh, two fundamental tools right now, and that is Neil Anderson Steps to Freedom in Christ and Emmanuel Prayer. And so we're doing both things. The idea is there's some things that call for some warfare. There's some things that call for you know uh, guided listening prayer, and hmm. so. Um, we just launched that. That's a new thing for people who are interested. Like, I would like to, you know, get deeper training in that. Uh, and then, like I said, I've written a lot of different books. So I I, I travel and speak uh, constantly as uh, invitations come in. Um, but those are the main things going on. The next Big thing coming on for us is uh, in January, we're going to have a free event on emo- building emotional resilience featuring John Eldridge and myself doing the uh, the uh, teaching. And that's going to be a free conference in January. So people might want to be uh, looking forward to that.
0: Great. Yeah, that's wonderful. Oh, good to hear. Well, Marcus, I usually like to ask um, if you could give uh, like a blessing and encouragement. It could be prayer. It could just be, you know, like just share your heart that's in tune with the heart of God for these people who are listening?
1: Yeah, I think uh, one thing I've learned is, is that everybody, uh, everybody has a gap in their life. And I just want to encourage people that you're not defined by the gap, right? That the gap is something that we're all dealing with. And God's going to meet us there. And he's going to, you know, help help us begin closing that. So let me just pray in that regard. Uh, Father, would you just meet uh, each of us at the point of our need, and I just pray that you'll silence the enemy who wants to condemn us for having gaps, and that you would uh, give us your perspective that often it's the gaps in life where we meet you most intimately. So I just pray that you will, in fact, do that. Meet us all uh, at a more intimate way in those areas where we need the most growth. In Christ's name.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you, Marcus. It is good to see
1: you and be with you. And please say hi and blessings to your wife. And Yep, likewise. It would be good to see you guys again in person. It's been a few years since we've been in person because of all the craziness. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so yeah, thank you so much for being
1: with us. All right, thank you, John.